What is happening, everybody? Welcome to Off the Rails, a recovery podcast dedicated to ending the stigma of addiction through open discussion on all things recovery related. My name is Mark, and with me always are Dave and Jared. And Dave's going to introduce our next guest. Yeah, our next guest is a uh, sober coach. He's an elite trainer and certified nutritionist. And uh, this next one is going to get Mark fired up. I know that for sure, because he is also a certified breath work therapist and uh, he goes by the addict to athlete method on instagram please welcome adam carroll thanks for joining us adam thanks for joining us man yeah thanks for having me guys i'm a big fan i I watched uh, bo's episode and it's crazy actually i messaged him so we grew up on the exact same street and went to the exact same elementary school so small world crazy oh that is wild (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bo was that. Uh, Bo was an awesome dude, man. Yeah, he's awesome. We've talked a fair bit now, back and forth, but just like, yeah, literally the exact same street, in the exact same town, in elementary school. It's just like crazy. Yeah, that's wild. That's wild. Yes, man. So as I was mentioning before, uh, we get our guests to kind of share their stories. Um, you know, it's your story to share. Uh, we'll probably jump in and ask some questions, and. Uh, yeah, so uh, if you want to start off by introducing yourself, man, by all means. All right, yeah, sounds good. So, yeah, my name's Adam. Um, I've been sober for a little over nine years now, so February 9th, 2013. Uh, the day after my 21st birthday, so the last time I used or drank was my, my 21st birthday, and then uh, since then, been sober ever since. Um, yeah, so, like, the interest, Adam, a certified personal trainer, certified nutritionist, certified breathwork therapist sober coach all that so basically my mission in life now is just to help people uh so like my mission statement is to help people change their life through health fitness and breath work just the same way i did when i got sober so yeah that's uh, basically where i'm at now on rough bio amazing man where did, where were you born to man i was born in vancouver oh good stuff i'm uh, yeah. i'm over in alberta right now all right yes man so you're born there you have any family or anything yeah, my mom and dad both live here. Uh, I have a pretty small family. It's my mom, my dad, and my aunt. That's it. So, pretty small family, but we're pretty close. Good stuff, man. So, um, you got sober at, at 21, you said? Yeah. Yeah. So, how was that um, for you? I know we've had a couple people on that, you know, got young, you know, relatively, some would say that's that's an early, uh, an early age, you know, 21. How was that for you with, like, you know, friends and the social social dynamic and all that? Uh, when I was 21, actually getting sober, it was tough. Um, I was involved in like some organized crime, so I had to just completely remove myself from that environment. I like threw my phone in the garbage, deleted all my social media, cut out everybody from my life that I knew back then and just started completely fresh. Like I, uh, I have one or two friends that known me from back then, but like I cut out like 99% of the people just to re- totally restart myself or re restart my life and then kind of reinvent myself because I knew I couldn't do it if I had those people in my life and not uh, conducive to growth. Adam, what uh, life experience or changes made you want to get sober or get help? Uh, I guess it would be a, a culmination of a couple things, but the the biggest one is kind of at the tail end of my uh, using and selling career. I, uh, had a couple attempts in my life. Like I had a drive-by where uh, someone shot up the place I was staying at. And uh, the day after that was my 21st birthday. And then I went out partying. And then when I got out of, I ended up getting put in jail on my 21st birthday. And when I got out of jail the next day, I called my mom and uh, just told her that I wanted to come home. I was, it was the first time I was completely open and honest with her about everything that I've been doing and what's been going on in my life. And she knew how serious it was, so she got me a plane ticket, and I came back to Vancouver, and then that's when I started to get sober. That's awesome. Adam, can you kind of tell us about, like, your early childhood, like, early life experiences? Were you around addiction or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I was born in Vancouver. Um, my parents got divorced when I was seven, so uh, I didn't find this out until later on, but uh, drugs and alcohol played a part in the relationship, and it was part of the reason they uh, separated. Um, so I lived with my mom from age seven onwards. My dad, I would see him on the weekends. He coached my soccer team, so I, I would see him then. And 
that was a good time for us to bond. But um, both my parents kind of had their own mental health struggles, and uh, I, I don't fault them for anything that happened. Like, I, I take full responsibility for my life and what I've done. Um, they did the best they could with what they had, and they didn't have many tools, and they had their own struggles. So no resentment there. Uh, there was, but I've worked my way through that now. So yeah, they got divorced when I was seven, and then uh, just living with my mom, uh, it seemed kind of normal, like just a normal kid, elementary school, a bunch of friends, played sports, soccer, football, all that. Um, and then, it, it, yeah, it was pretty much normal just playing sports like a normal kid until about age 13. Uh, then I started getting bullied pretty bad when I first got into high school, so I uh, started smoking a bit of weed and drinking so that'd be when I first started using just because I was really uncomfortable like I always remember being really uncomfortable in my own skin so just like super anxious and insecure any sense of would even like make a joke I would feel like really like attacked and nervous and like just super insecure so when I found uh, alcohol and weed it just calmed me down and made me feel much better in my own skin so that was the start of it all and then from there it just progressed into Selling some drugs at school, which eventually got me kicked out of school. So I uh, got kicked out of school at the end of grade eight. I never ended up going back. I did get my GED years later, but that was the end of my school career. Um, and then after that, my mom um, kicked me out of the house because she just couldn't handle me anymore. I was being pretty crazy, partying a lot and getting in trouble with the law. Wasn't going to school, obviously. So um she got me to move well uh asked me to leave so I left and then my dad rented the rented an apartment uh in Vancouver but he didn't live here he lived and worked in a different province so uh it was cool at the time because I had an apartment all to myself with all my friends and all this I had a good amount of money back then and a lot of drugs and alcohol so it was a big party house and it was really fun at the time but looking back on it now is uh, way too much freedom and uh yeah, just way too much freedom for someone that age and going through the things I was going through. So yeah, I just kind of continued on there. Um, when I when I stopped going, when I left school, I had much more free time. So I kind of got in deeper with the crew that I was working with and just kept selling and doing drugs um, pretty much every day, all day. Uh, and that, um, I try to, I, I should say, I, I have TBI. Uh, I got jumped pretty bad and so if I forget what I'm talking about in the middle of a sentence, you guys can just remind me if I forget. Uh, but that should be good. It's getting better at this now. So um, that time, uh, it, I got jumped. Um, basically, someone jacked me. Like, I pulled up, to, pulled up to a place to deliver something. Guys came out, pulled me out of the car, beat the crap out of me. Um, and then I... A day or two after, my mom called me and she said she got a voicemail on her phone and it was a death threat from someone. Um, and uh, with my mom having listened to it, she freaked out and called the cops. So I went to my mom's house and in my mom's living room was my mom and the cop and we all listened to the voicemail together. The cop who was there already known me and dealt with him in the past. So his advice was just to get out of the province for a while. So then I moved to where my dad was. Um, and uh, kind of just continued everything from there, except I, w I was, I mean, obviously at that age, you're pretty naive. Uh, so I didn't really understand what I was getting into, especially where I was going. Actually, yeah, so before that time, before I left for uh, the other province, I started doing Coke, steroids, and smoking cigarettes, all within the same, relatively the same amount of time. So that was quite a cocktail for a young guy to be on. I'm sure you guys can relate. It's like uh, you feel invincible and super good in the moment, but like your ego is just out of control. You make terrible decisions. So uh, yeah, that I started that. And then when I moved to the other province, um, I got a job at Foot Locker. So I met a bunch of cool people there and, and some friends and stuff. Uh, and I was trying to just work there and just be okay with doing that. But felt like, probably two months into it, I, I started looking around and seeing who was about what, and I found the guys that were doing what I wanted to do and quickly started working for them. Um, but different scale, so it was much harder harder drugs and bigger quantities than I was used to. I was still only, I think, 16 at this point. Um, but yeah, so I was just running, running one of the phones, just doing all the deliveries, doing all the calls and stuff, so you're working, you know, from like six, 
p.m. to 4 a.m., that type of thing. And I did that pretty consistently for about a year. That situation kind of played itself out by me. Uh, we had this was a, our crew and another crew were at a club, and it kind of culminated in a big fight in the parking lot. And uh, I ended up getting stabbed in the leg. I'd been stabbed before, but this is the first time the knife like, actually stuck in my leg. And like, I instinctively just tried to pull it out, but uh, someone stopped me from doing that because it's really dangerous. And thankfully, it didn't hit an artery or anything. So um, I couldn't really go to the hospital because we had some issues with the law still. So uh, a, friend, a friend's girlfriend was a nurse, so she helped get it out and stitch me up and you know like uh it was a terrible thing to go through but um it is what it is and i made it through okay uh so after that i that was a big shock to my system and i wanted to take a little bit of a break so i came back to vancouver for a couple months and tried to just live a normal life but i actually went back to school for like a month but <laughs> Then just quickly went back to, uh, or quickly wanted to do what I was doing. So then went back to where I used to live in the other province and started back up with the same crew. I had a bit of a reputation this time. Uh, so I moved up the ladder a little bit, started running some of the phones and stuff. Um, and then a couple, like I, I just hit like the wave tops because there's lots of little things that happened, but. The big things that stick out in my mind, I'll just touch on those quick. So um, one of the guys I had brought on, uh, he was a friend of mine. He, he was going to work one of the phones, and he called me one night, uh, and I could tell like he was in trouble. Um, he wanted me to come see him, so I drove over there, and I seen him sitting on the edge of his building covered in blood. Uh, so I went, ran up to him, ran behind him, kind of like put him in my lap. I was just holding on to him, waiting for an ambulance to come. So he got stabbed several times in the chest. And uh, I remember like sitting there just like telling him it's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. You're going to make it. It's going to be okay. And then he uh, ended up passing away in my arms. But I heard him take his last breath and then I felt him just kind of go limp. So that was something that uh, I've done a lot of work on now and I'm better now, but I still have a lot of guilt uh, with that. Just because I remember I'm t- I kept telling him he's going to be okay. And he- I really believed that at the time, but it was like kind of false hope. And part of me thinks that I was kind of lying to him. So that created a lot of guilt and shame for me. But um, yeah, so after that, that was like a pretty big wake up call and scary, but still not enough to get me to stop. I just kept going, kept pushing hard. Um, basically, I think I'd probably be about 18, 19 at this time. And then uh, things just kept progressing and uh, got arrested a couple times, and then one of my friends, friends, acquaintances in the crew or whatever, uh, he uh, ended up killing someone and went to jail for 20 years. So um, there was a big court case involved with that, and we'd gotten investigated and stuff. So things were getting pretty heated out for us. It was uh, getting pretty sketchy. So. I was kind of seeing the writing on the wall of like when all of your peers and everyone close to you is either dead or going to jail, then like things aren't going right and you should probably make some changes. So that's when the, I remember like, I think I was 20 when the, like that was the first time I was like, okay, I think like this is not going to be a long-term thing. Like I really need to get out of this and do something different. And the main, the main event that got me to get sober is that I got, I, I don't know what other word to call it than kidnapped. I don't know if that's the right word or not, but I got set up uh, where I was going to go do a deal. And these guys were waiting for me when I turned the corner around a building. I got hit in the back of the head with a bat and knocked unconscious. Uh, I had a brain bleed. Uh, I, when I came back uh, conscious, I was in the back of a trunk. And I remember like kicking the lid of the trunk to see if I could get it to open. And I passed out again. And then uh, the next thing I remember is being tied to a chair, but the whole time I had my face covered. So I don't, I don't really see anything. And um, your perception of time is really weird. So I know from when I was conscious, so when I got out of there was in between 12 and 24 hours, somewhere around there. Um, but it was, it was terrifying. It was probably one of the most scary moments of my life because they uh, kept saying they were going to kill me. They kept taking a knife across my chest and just cutting and cutting and like, like not torture but like very intimidating scary stuff um and then really they they, they just wanted 
access to our network. So I kind of manipulated them a little bit and said that I was going to give it to them and ended up not. And then uh, that was after that, I was done with uh, selling it. So I, I, I told the guys that I was working for that I'm done. Like, that's too much for me. I'm, I'm not willing to die for this stuff. But then is kind of when I realized that I was not only a drug dealer, I was also a drug addict because I thought that when I stopped selling that maybe I would want to stop on wanting to use so much. That was definitely not the case. So it was about a year of me just like just using like every day, all day, crazy amounts. And with the connections that I had, I was able to get a lot and front a lot off the people. So I ended up after about a year of doing that, I ended up probably 30 to 40 grand in debt with, with several different people. Um, and that's eventually I felt like the, the world kind of closing in on me. Like I knew like they were going to come for me eventually. They, they knew I wasn't going to pay them. So uh, that's when the shooting happened at my old house. Uh, thankfully, I hadn't moved like a week prior, but um, the neighbors let me know and the cops were there and they knew who used to live there. So after that, uh, I remember my friends took me out for my 21st birthday. We had a big party. Um, I got in a little fight and ended up getting thrown in the drunk tank. And then that's when I got out of jail that time. That's when I called my mom. And that's when I started my journey to sobriety. Those, those are the wave tops, everything I can think of. Yeah, that's an uh, incredible uh, story. So my earlier question, uh, was it difficult at 21? I guess, uh, I mean, obviously it's always difficult, but going through all that, I mean, that makes uh, probably a lot easier of a decision to to kind of get clean. That's a that's a shitload to go through, man, for a young guy. Yeah, I was like, uh, I would say that getting sober is one of the hardest things I had to do, but the decision to get sober was not that difficult. It was like pretty obvious that I needed to. I, yeah. I wanted to live. That was the thing. Like I, uh, I, I've always had like a really supportive family and a good support network. And the thought of hurting them or, you know, losing my own life was just too much. So it was like time to get sober. Man, what was that conversation like with your mom? Emotional. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> um, yeah, my mom's always been like my closest uh, friend, relative, whatever. Like she's I've always been really close to my mom, but uh, I kind of shielded her from all the stuff that I was doing just because I know how worried she would be about me. I mean, she was worried anyway because she had an idea, but if she knew the specifics of what was going on, like I, I didn't want to put that weight on her. But then I, I, when I told her on the phone, I, I told her everything, like the, the kidnapping thing, the stab thing, the people dying, like everything. I was completely honest. And she was crying. I was crying. And then, uh, yeah, when I got home, it was actually, it was, I think it was good that uh, we had such an open and honest conversation because when I got uh, to her house, when I flew home, I was in a really bad state. So at least she was prepared for that and kind of understood where I was coming from. Had I not done that and pretended like everything was okay, then it would have been weird how messed up I was. So yeah, it was, it was good, but um, it was tough for sure. What kind of like steps did you take? Did you just do it on your own, or did you go to treatment or like NA or? So I did go to. I started going to AA meetings, but the first two years of my sobriety, I had uh, some warrants out, so I kind of stayed in hiding and. I also had some death threats still, so they're still getting through email or through Facebook from people that were still looking for me. So I was just really paranoid. So for the first two years, I kind of just stayed home. I was sober, but like heavily medicated by a psychologist. I got diagnosed with PTSD and TBI and uh, depression and all that. So I was on a lot of medications and I basically just put myself into a coma so I wouldn't have to think about anything that I've done. So, I mean, the the two years, like, I guess that I was sober, but I wasn't really working on my recovery. So I guess there's a little bit of a difference there. And then after the two years, um, <clears throat> during that time, is I, I had a lot of free time. So that's when I got certified as a trainer, as a nutritionist. I spent a lot of my time learning about things I was passionate about, but still not really addressing my own issues. Um, <clears throat> and then after those two years, uh, that's uh, so the first time I walked into an AA meeting was two years after I got sober. And then uh, I went to I went to 90 meetings in 90 days, like they recommend. So a meeting every day for 90 days. 
uh, and then I got a sponsor. Uh, started working the steps. So step one, two, and three, you, they were difficult, but uh, it was okay. I got through them okay. And then when I got to step four uh, for the first time, that was I was not ready for that. I was not ready for that. Like to write write down everything I'd ever done wrong and anything that ever bothered me my whole life onto a piece of paper and then have to look at it and like revise it and change it and then add more stuff was just like so overwhelming. Um, and I think a mistake I made is I I picked a mentor just because I wanted to do the steps and I just like wanted to get started, so I kind of rushed it. And I don't think I picked the best guy just because he couldn't really relate to my past uh, as much as I would have liked. So he uh, didn't really understand a lot of the things that I was going through. So when I did the step four, um, I wrote it all on the little sheet they have. And then uh, when I was done, I kept looking at it. And uh, I that made me just feel way worse about myself. Like my self-esteem was so low. I, I, I remember I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror. Like I couldn't even look at myself in the eyes. I would never let people take pictures of me. Like I hated seeing myself. Um, so that was I had my I had my first suicide attempt then. <clears throat> so was, during this time, my mom was a little bit more involved with my recovery. So she's seen how much I was struggling, and I was kind of showing her like I'm going to the meetings and doing the steps. Like I'm really trying, and uh, I could see how much pain she was in. So it makes emotional uh, I could see how much pain she was in watching me go through that so I uh you don't really know what to do in that situation like like I, ha I had no coping mechanisms and really no support network outside of the guys at the AA meeting and the only thing I could think to do to get myself and my family out of pain was just to check out so um I just walked to the SkyTrain station in Vancouver and I was just going to jump in front of the SkyTrain. That was my plan. Um, and it was like two in the morning. There was nobody there. Or actually, no, I think it was like midnight. Uh, but yeah, there was like nobody there. And I walked down the stairs and as I was getting to the little, whatever it's called, like where the actual SkyTrain is, I kept saying, like, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And then uh, I heard a voice say, like, you don't have to. And I don't know where that voice came from. It was in my head because there was nobody around. So now I think that was like a divine intervention, God sort of thing. Like it was like, what's the actor, uh, Morgan Freeman, you know, his voice? It was like in that yeah. voice. <laughs> it, was like a, it was like a weird voice. And I was like, what? Like, but yeah, that. so as soon as I heard that, I, I had this like emotional release. I dropped my knees and started like bawling my eyes out. And then eventually got myself together and got back home. And uh, just got the courage to keep going. Um, so then I kept going to meetings, but this time I went to a different meeting. I went to the same meeting for six months. And then after going for six months, then I picked a much more specific mentor who I know like he had been through very similar things that I've been through. And I, I knew I found the right person when like I felt like I was talking to myself because I'd tell him something and then like he'd already know what I was going to say so he'd just like fill up on my sentences and like nothing really shocked him he was like yeah that makes sense like I've been doing the same thing and so once I found him I was like okay like I feel much more comfortable and then uh I got through my first 12 steps like all the way through I was really proud of myself and that made me feel a lot better so that was probably around like uh year three or four of sobriety uh, I felt a lot better after doing those 12 steps but I still hadn't really uh, looked into like, my, like I feel like uh, my psychology was getting better, but my soul still wasn't uh, getting any better really. Like I hadn't really like processed any of the trauma or like gotten over any of that. And I was still very much attached to my ego. So um, I had one more suicide attempt because it was just a, uh, I've had suicidal depression my whole life, like suicidal thoughts and stuff. But when I was getting sober, they kind of got worse. So the last one, um, I had a really, uh, I, 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 I'll admit that I started sponsoring people too early. So since I had a year and I did the 12 steps, they say you're allowed to sponsor new guys. So I sponsored a guy. Um, he ended up overdosing and passing away. And I was not prepared for that. Like, I felt like I let him down. I felt like I didn't do everything that I could. So after that happened, I, I just, like, went right back into my 
depressive, suicidal type of thoughts. And um, yeah, the, the, that was the second and final time I tried to commit suicide. Um, I took 30 milligrams of Xanax, which is supposed to kill you, but um, I don't know. I, I remember like I took it and I'd feel, you feel super messed up and uh, I fell onto the floor and I remember looking at my dog and my dog just like looked at me and kind of like cocked his head. And it was just like a really weird connection moment between me and my dog. Like I felt like I really wanted to like not be here until then. But then when I seen him looking at me and we had this like connection, I was just like, I kind of fought the urge to like not let the Xanax make me fall asleep. I just kept like fighting it and fighting it. And then I made myself throw up just to try to get out of my system. And then I did eventually fall asleep, but I woke up obviously. So uh, yeah, that, that was um, really tough. But I think I'm, I'm grateful I went through those things now because when people uh, talk to me about struggles like that, like I can relate to them much better. So um, at the time it was terrible. One of the hardest things I've ever been through, but now I'm really grateful for going through that stuff because just gives me more tools in my toolbox to help other people so yeah that was the uh, the last suicide attempt and then ever since then things every year things have just been slowly getting better uh, i've just been getting more and more into the meetings and the recovery i've done the steps like probably five times now so now i do sponsor people and have my own sober groups and that's what i'm focused on now so that was like the start of my recovery that's amazing man um when did you kind of get into like breath work and uh, how important was that for you in your recovery? Yeah, breath work is huge. Breath work is like my favorite thing. That's uh, the most powerful thing I've ever done. Uh, I mean, like drugs don't count, but. <laughs> oh man, I agree so much. Yeah. So uh, the first, so the mentor that I found when I went to those meetings for six months, he had been in prison, uh, same sort of thing, a lot of gang violence and drugs and stuff. And he became a breathwork therapist. He told me the first time he did it, what happened with him. I was willing to try anything at that point. Even though I had been in the program for four years, like, and I felt like I was getting a lot better. Um, my psychology and my brain were getting a lot better, but still, like, my soul, like, the, the awareness, like, my self-awareness was not there. So he kind of explained to me what it is. And a really good description of what breathwork is, is, like, breath work is a tool to create stillness and then when you find stillness you can find a sense of oneness when you find a sense of oneness with you and all the other humans and you're one with the universe then you can find a sense of connection when you find a sense of connection you find love and when you find love you find god so that was like a very profound like crazy uh little like breakdown of what it does and how it kind of basically dissolves your ego and lets you tap into your subconscious mind to heal from past trauma that's what i use it for there's a lot of other ways people use it. Like there's a lot of different um, types of it and there's a lot of different intentions you can set ahead of time, depending on what you want to work on. But yeah, so I did the first session with him and uh, I did the actual breath work for about, I think it was 45 minutes. And then the last 15 minutes, we just like I just fell into a meditation. And when I fell into the meditation, um, it was like, I'd never done DMT, but I've done mushrooms and it was like an actual hallucination where like, I seen my dead grandfather and I got to finally like say goodbye. He died when I was really young. So I never got to say goodbye. So it was like, I was actually with him and I said goodbye and I felt like he was really there. And uh, that was probably the hardest I've ever cried. Cause that, I felt like that was like, just like 25 years of emotion, just like pouring out of me. And uh, I remember like you get up really slowly after doing that. So when I sat up, I felt like, like the world was spinning and just like, I felt so, at peace like I just felt like completely drained like tired but like in a good way just like so calm and like relaxed that I was I was like mind blown after I did the first one I was like <laughs> I think the first first word that my mouth after was like what the fuck was that like that's even that's possible like I didn't even know that was possible like what the fuck it was just crazy and then uh, I did one a week for a year after that and then uh, I got certified on my own but I still I I uh do breath work with people but I still work with someone to do my own breath work just because having uh post-traumatic stress like sometimes it can trigger a panic attack so it's good to have someone there to like kind of bring you back down if you do have something that like triggers you um 
but yeah, no, breath work's been like the most powerful thing I've done in my recovery for sure. Because I, I think like <clears throat> most people intuitively know how to take care of their body, like physical activity. Most people know how to eat well. Um, and then the program, AA or NA, addresses like all your psychological issues and any like issues you're having with your personality or all of that stuff. But the God piece was kind of the piece that I was missing. Like I accepted the fact that there is a higher power and it can restore me back to sanity. I said those things and I believed it, but I didn't really know what that meant. And then when I started doing the breathwork thing and I realized that like, this is just my opinion, but I think that like God is everyone. Like I'm God, you're God. It depends on how you conduct yourself. And like, if you live in a place of love and awareness, then that's God. Like if you're in the present moment, like here, I'm here with you guys and totally focused on this. Like, that's what it's about. It's about being in the present moment and not thinking about the past and the future. So for me, breathwork is like the most amazing thing I've ever found. So I'm just, I feel really grateful that I can actually help other people do it now. And it's crazy because like the people I do for the first time, they say the same thing that I said. They stood up and they're just like, what the fuck was that? Like, that, what the fuck? Like, it's hilarious, but it, it's really cool. That's awesome, man. Yeah, that is awesome. I was just going to ask you about your, uh, your handle there was that something the addict to, to athlete i've obviously have you know seen a lot of your posts and and uh you know you're in, you're in great shape and all that and everything you're doing was that something you kind of like went back to like your childhood of like you were you were playing sports when you were younger and before you're you know using days and addiction you kind of going back to like uh back to the the start back to basics kind of thing yeah that's a big part of it i think um my idea behind like creating that was want to take a more like holistic approach to sobriety and recovery. I think like the meetings, the program are super important and should not be ignored, but there was a lot of other things that I needed that I wasn't getting. So like, since I started drinking and using when I was 14, uh, as we all know, like alcohol arrests your development. So in certain situations I would behave like I was 13 years old like I, I didn't know how to react in social situations or in certain situations like I behaved like a child so um the program that I do now uh with the guys in the sober, my, my sober groups is like so you've done the 12 steps for your first time for the first time but now how are you going to live your life like moving forward like how are you going to take care of your body how are you going to take care of your mind how are you going to take care of your soul what are you going to eat what's your purpose those are all things that i didn't really have answers for when I finished the 12 steps the first time. So I try to like encompass all of that into one program because I feel like it's like a, a stool. So it's like six legs, if one's missing, it's really unstable. If two are missing, it's fall, it falls over. So for me, like that's, that's been the case for me. Like if, if I if I don't train for a couple of days or if I eat like crap or if I don't do my breath work a certain amount of times a week, I'm just not the same person. Like I just don't feel as good. And, uh, and I've had affirmation from that from everyone else that I work with. So I just, for me personally, it's, it's what works best for me. Uh, might not work for everybody, but for me, like all of those things combined together is what made me really over the last like two years, I've become much more like confident and just like proud of myself and like content. Like I'm, I've finally found like a sense of peace and like love for myself that I never really had before. And I think breath work is the biggest part of that, but also like the training and nutrition and just taking care of myself because I had really low self-esteem and like hated myself for so long. And now we're like, I love myself. And the reason that I eat healthy and the reason that I train is because I want to, I love my body and I want to take care of it. And I love my mind and I want to take care of it. Whereas like I was not in the place to think like that uh, when I first got sober. Adam, is, is your uh, sober group, who can you talk about that a little bit how, what is that and how do you is it open to anyone yeah yeah so it's open to anyone uh so i have a men's only group and then another group so i do two separate groups i also go to my own aa meetings like by myself that's just my own thing but i run uh, uh two sober groups one's uh co-ed and then one's just for men it's open to anyone anyone who wants to join can reach out and jump in um we usually do it over Zoom because it's for people or it's, uh, people all over Canada and actually a couple people in the States. But uh, we meet once a week just to talk um, on Zoom, just to have like an hour chat, see how everyone's doing. And then uh, everyone who comes into the program gets a, a, a everyone who comes into the program, 
program gets the program. So the program is uh, a training program, a nutrition program, uh, and then breathwork sessions throughout the month. And then we have to, I have like a little journal thing. So they log how many meetings they went to that week, how many breathwork sessions they did, what they ate, how their training was. I have like um, a biofeedback form. So like, how is your sleep this week? How's your motivation? How's your recovery? Meditation sessions, like all that stuff. So we're tracking the analytics week to week so we can see the improvement. And then also uh, talking, we do step work as well. So try to like get everyone on the same page and work the steps with them slowly. Um, and I've had a couple people that I could tell that I wasn't relating to as well as I could. And I just told them that like, this isn't really a good fit. And I think you should look for someone else because with what happened to me, I'm very um, aware of like, if I feel like I can't help the person to my best of my ability, then I'm just, I feel like there's someone else who can. And since this stuff is so serious, like you're literally fighting for your life, like your life is on the line. And the experience I had with the first guy I ever sponsored is just like, I don't ever want to have that happen again. So everyone that I do work with, I give like 110%, like all my attention, anything they need. Like I try to be there for them all the time. But if I, if I find that I can't do that with someone then I, I just recommend them to someone else. That sounds awesome. We might have to check that out sometime. Yeah. You guys are welcome anytime, man. For yeah. Sure. That's amazing. That's, that, that's something I need. I think. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we all need it. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> Adam, we do a, a top five from now and then, and uh, so one of our top fives was top five tools of recovery. So I got a feeling breathing is going to be number one for you. Yeah, you got four more for us. Uh, in order of importance. Uh, well, given no. a short notice, you don't probably don't need to go order. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna make it a little harder. Yeah. Uh, so I would say uh, I think I can do it in order of importance. So I think one would be sleep and like recovery in general. Yeah. Uh, two. I know it's it's pretty hard to do it in order because they're all pretty pretty damn close. Yeah. So I'd say sleep because I mean like I'm sure we all can relate. If you're up for a couple of days, you're basically like a zombie so sleep oh, yeah. recovery oh, yeah. is pretty important <laughs> can so i put to that. that one at the top of the list because i've had many vendors where you're losing your mind so yeah. sleep would be like one of the most important i would say breath work is second especially if you have trauma in your past or some things that you're working through because i feel like you can't really grow into the person you are going to become until you address where you've been and what you've done so the breath work thing is huge and it's a huge uh, for me for that um and then i would go uh training some, some sort of physical activity every day i'm not a believer in rest days like people a couple hundred years ago didn't take days off like i think you can do some form of exercise every day whether that's 20 minutes on a treadmill or whether that's deadlifting and squatting like whatever it is for you i think just breaking of sweat every day does tons for your mental health like for me I, i've been on pretty much every medication possible I think and the thing that's worked, worked best for me is just working out every morning that that's worked better than any medication I've ever tried so the training that's three right or that's four well nutrition would be number four and then number five I think it'd just be the people you surround yourself with like number one finding a mentor that you can relate to I think that that was a huge thing for me and I see people have the same issue like uh, finding a mentor that you can really relate to that you know really cares about you and then just being involved in the community and making sure you're going to meetings, doing the 12 steps because I don't want like what I do is not taking away from the 12 steps in the meeting it's just a supplemental like program to facilitate that and maybe help it work a little bit better like I still think I'm still I still go to the meeting I'm still a big believer in the program I still do the steps I just add all this other stuff because it really worked well for me and I, it works well for other people too that's amazing. That's a great um, list. So you talked about like surrounding yourself, you know, around the right people. Did you find it hard kind of separating yourself from the people in your past? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The guy I told you about, he was in jail for murder. Uh, him and I were really close and 
we're never allowed to talk again just because of the legal ramifications and all that stuff. So I've lost so many friends over the years to suicide and overdose and murders and stuff. It's just uh, hard to comprehend sometimes. Like when you're, when I've been, I've been away from that life for so long that it's like, it almost seems like a dream sometimes that actually happens. Yeah. But then um, something like will remind me of like a little trigger or something will remind me and then, I'll go back to those moments and think about all the people that I used to hang out with or that I missed that I wish I could still see or all the people that are gone now, you know, so it's, it's, it's still tough. It's, it's like an everyday thing. I got to remember that I'm grateful to be here because I, there's a lot of times where I could have lost my life and not, not, not be here. So I just try to make the best out of every day and try to help as many people as I can. That's my mission now. It's just like, I, I feel like I'm on borrowed time because I, I should have died several times. So I just want to make as big an impact on the world as I can with the time I have left. Man, I say that frequently. I find people in uh, recovery kind of have this kind of a more positive outlook on life, man, because it feels like you got a second shot at it. Yeah, yeah. I wish more people had that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I personally, I think it's awesome that you shared your the part of, um, you know, going through a tough time after, you know, getting sober in recovery with uh you know with 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 being down in depression because i think sometimes like i like we're pretty early on in it and i think i know for myself personally you almost feel like when you're having an off day you're like what the hell you know i'm you know i'm sober now all these people are sober like you know everything's going so well and you know you almost forget that like that's part of life right is having those ups and downs and and uh it's okay to have those downs but um you know so i think that's that's awesome you shared that part because I think a lot of people like family members too. I think uh, knowing that, you know, life's not gonna be perfect after you get sober either, right? Like, well, I think uh, one of the things that was said to me and I just keep repeating is like when I was going through the su suicidal uh, period of my life, uh, the mentor I had then, his name's Shane. He's an awesome guy. We're so good friends to this day. He told me that uh, if I killed myself today, then I'd be robbing the world of the person that I could become. And that was like a really powerful quote to hear because like, I think that applies to anything. Like if you're, if you're newly sober and you're having a rough day, it's not a sign for you to give up because you don't know, like it's your journey. You don't know like the potential impact you're going to have on the world. If you told me when I was 21 that I would be sitting here talking to you guys and doing what I'm doing now, like I would have laughed in your face and told us a complete joke. Like I, I never thought I would have the life that I have now. And thank God that I didn't actually where I wasn't actually successful with any of those suicide attempts or anything else took me up because the life I have now I'm super grateful for and like I, I couldn't be happier with the life I have now so the hard days are there for a reason and actually I get um weird to say but I kind of get happy when I feel emotions now because I didn't feel emotions for so long so even if I feel sad like I I'll be the first to say it like I, I didn't cry for a really long time and now I can cry like like easily like like songs make me cry if I listen to the right song I'll be like getting all teary-eyed so I, now I feel like I'm so in tune with my emotions that like the fact that I actually feel them and recognize them I'm like actually really happy about that because when we're using an active addiction like you're, you're not really you're definitely not addressing your emotions you might feel some but like you're not addressing them and working your way through them so I think feeling emotions is actually a really good thing but when you're newly sober and you really haven't felt any emotions in a really long time it's a weird feeling like i remember the first time i cried when i got sober and i was like what is this like what is happening it's like a weird feeling <laughs> that's an amazing point man yeah was it crazy to you like when you started to get sober and then you know recognizing how eating shitty like really makes you feel like crap like because like when you're using and stuff you don't really recognize what you're eating it affects your mental health but then when I, I find now like that I'm sober you know if I eat like shit or have a bag of chips it's like I feel like crap the next day and it's like I never felt that before because you know it was always yeah. booze or whatever right yeah no definitely I noticed that I, I did the same thing like when I was using you'd be up for three or four days and then you're not eating that whole time so then when you do go to eat you go like drive through KFC and spend a hundred bucks and eat freaking just crazy amount of garbage and like you feel like crap anyway so you don't really notice but yeah. now that like when you're sober and you're eating healthy you know, the bacteria in your gut changes so uh 
you have like healthy bacteria that are used to healthy food and then as soon as you introduce like mcdonald's or whatever the crap is going to be like just totally trashes your system so there's like science to back that up but the anecdotal evidence like for sure i i let myself have a cheat meal every once in a while but like it's almost not even worth it for the, the stress it causes me the next day like I get, I get like brain fog and stomach issues and it's just from food now like considering what i've done to my body over the years you'd think like eating a burger or whatever wouldn't be that big of a deal but yeah if i eat if i eat uh like something bad it'll like lay me up for a day and then my training suffers my breath work suffers so it's just like it's not really an option for me anymore but yeah that's definitely something i struggled with for sure sorry for laughing there but uh I was just laughing because we all met in rehab and one of the things that Mark said to me when I, when we were there was he'd be up for like three or four days and then go to KFC. Yeah. Um, it would never <laughs> fail. Yeah. 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 Drive through. <laughs> That'd be my one meal every yeah. three to four days. Horrible. Get that giant bucket of chicken. Yes, man. I was, uh, I'd be like a big crunch guy. A couple big, oh, crunch, yeah, there you go. big crunch box meal, man. Used to eat a yeah. lot of those. <laughs> but when you when you've been up three days like i'm not just ordering one meal i'm ordering like a hundred dollars worth of fat food like oh, yeah. <laughs> crazy amount and then you down it all and you just like lie in there just like oh my god yeah, four days worth of food and one meal <laughs> yeah like ten thousand calorie challenge or whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah just really really do the heart some more good oh yeah yeah <laughs> it's uh it's wild having people on here and so many people's stories align with each other's. It's kind of cool. Yeah. I've noticed that. Uh, so every, everybody's story is like unique, but also very similar, you know? Like, yeah, absolutely. And then the recovery part, like everybody has their own journey with recovery, but I find that there's, there's so many commonalities, whether it's a man or a woman or old or young, it's like so, so many similarities between everyone. I think we all go yeah. through the same struggles of like, for me, I don't know your guys' story, but like for me, um, since I started all that so young, I never really had like a sense of self. Like I didn't know what I liked, what I didn't like. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't know how to, uh, I didn't know like my emotions. I wasn't a very self-aware person. So ever since I got sober, like that's the journey I've been on. It's like, who am I? Like, what do I want to do with my life? How do I feel about these things? Like, those are all questions that, I've been answering over the years and that's made a big impact on my life. Just like figuring out who I actually am and like, what do I want to do and how do I feel about all these things? and What are emotions? And like, cause I remember when I first got diagnosed with PTSD, uh, they give you, the, <laughs> they give me this like piece of paper. It has all the smiley faces on it with all the emotions, but there's like a hundred smiley faces. It's like happy, sad, and like a million other things. And then he, he, tell me like so how do you feel and I was supposed to point to one of the things and I, I could never tell I didn't know how I felt like I I honestly couldn't answer like how do you feel like I don't know if I'm happy sad mad I, I don't know like I just wasn't aware and now I, I've become much more aware of those things so it's taken a lot of work but I think just like recognizing where you're at and being in tune with your emotions is a big thing because for me my default emotion is usually anger like if I don't understand something or I get frustrated, like I just get really angry. So now uh, with all the work that I've done in breath work, I kind of have this like third person perspective of myself. So I try not to identify with my body or my brain, like my psychology. I identify with my soul. Like I'm the awareness of the person that's going through all these experiences. So like I'm in a body and my brain is in that body, but I'm neither of those things. I'm just a conscious observer of what's going on. So when my brain does something, because it still happens, I'll have a weird thought, like I'm judging someone or I get angry about something. And then I'll just like take a pause and be like, oh, my brain's doing that stupid thing again, like stupid brain, freaking annoying. So I kind of like disassociate from my brain. And that helps me like not stay attached to all the labels that I've been given. Because I'm sure you guys can relate, like we're addicts and then I got PTSD and TBI and all these things. And when I first got diagnosed with PTSD, it's like, I felt like, the death sentence because like the, the, i asked i asked what what can i do about this i was like well there's this medication you could try and you can keep coming to therapy i was like that doesn't really seem like a solution to me like that's not that helpful so uh yeah the, just being aware that like 
we're all kind of the same thing and the same energy and just like that third party perspective if you can look at yourself from outside your body and like see what you're going through for me that's been able so that's made me able to make much better decisions and just become like much more self-aware that's awesome man yeah yeah fellas do we have any more questions for adam no i i, I don't off the top of my head but uh i just i just sitting here thinking as you're talking though like you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I guess, grateful and thankful for like your, yourself and there's other people out there as well, but for the different options there are now for, for people to get, you know, help and get sober and, and, and work on their mental health. And, you know, I wish you kind of, wish I would have kind of known this earlier that there was such a big community out there. It's not just, you know, AA meetings or NA meetings or whatever it is. I mean, like you said, those are important as well, but there's other tools out there. And I think that's, huge for for people that maybe are using right now but it doesn't have to be going to a meeting necessarily to start with you can you know do some other things so i don't know man it's really cool it was awesome awesome story and and uh, i really like what you're doing it's it's pretty uh, i might reach out to you actually so <laughs> yeah hey man anytime for sure yeah. but th thanks for having me on i just want to say uh I do, I do work with people who are not sober yet so like people who are wanting like the sober curious i've heard it called but it's kind of a weird term but <laughs> i work with a couple of people who are still using who are curious about getting sober so with that it's like um that's an interesting thing to try to deal with because everybody's very different in the reasons why they use and what they're using and all that so that's a little bit more in depth but even if you are still using and you want to if you're interested about getting sober then you can reach out to me and we can talk about it i, I always start everything with a just a discovery call so like a 30 minute little facetime meeting just to chat to the person see what's going on in their life and how i can help and then just go from there so yeah if anyone's interested just uh shoot me a dm and then we can get, get on the call and get started with that um also so the, at the Addicts to Athlete Method on Instagram and Facebook is where you can message me and that's where my pages are. I'm in the process of coming up with the website, but it's taken a little while. Um, and then also I'm a part of uh, Empower to Recover Canada. So it's, uh, it's a panel of experts in the health, fitness, mental health, addiction community. And we uh, do conventions around Canada and we're probably going to be doing some in the States. So the first one is in September in New West in BC. So we do uh, it's like a we do a couple presentations and then we have a Q and A and it's a convention for people in recovery and sobriety. So that'd be a cool thing for people to check out if they're interested. And um, but yeah, no, thanks for having me on, guys. I'm a big fan of what you guys are doing. I've listened to like three of your podcasts already, so I'll just keep going, keep it up. It's amazing, man. Thank yeah, you so much. thanks so much. We're gonna put Adam's contact information down below guys so if you or someone you know is struggling with addiction please reach out and ask for help thanks for listening